1: Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Trying to get by Bennett. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets left center. Perry, Stewart, Corey Perry. Well, oh Able to take away from
0: Solani. It's given away. The-
1: And we're back. We're here for a win. Pat and Eddie on the show today. We do not have Jason. He's not able to make it tonight, but it's okay. It's okay. We got plenty to talk about here with the Ducks. Three to one win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. What a game. Miller getting the start net.
2: Eddie, uh, welcome to a win. It had all the the writing on the board to be a bad game for the Ducks when you're going you're the least goal-scoring team in the entire league. You're going against the team that scores the most goals. It <laughs> it looked like it was going to be on paper and not a great game. Uh, but Ryan Miller, man, I mean, what a what a great game for him. He kept everybody in it.
1: If it wasn't for Miller, it, this game could have really got out of hand at times. I felt like the Ducks played pretty solid all the way around. Um, some scary moments on the penalty kill and there was a few times where the Lightning really had things going but I mean honestly Domingue had to make good saves as well you know
2: for sure and and it's been tough for them I mean the Lightning has still been able to win games without Andre Vasilevsky I mean Domingue is a guy who I guess some would argue it maybe isn't good enough at times to be a NHL goaltender even a backup so it's been a tough go for the Lightning to have to deal with not having Andre Vasilevsky and I mean, this is a game, as good as the Lightning are, when you, you are able to face a goaltender like Domingue, you have to go in and, and get a win, and, and the Ducks did pretty well in that.
1: So, let's get started, man. Let's get into the first period here. Uh, Kosla, Schuster, and Street all scratched. Roundy back in the lineup. Lindholm, I think you already, already mentioned he's close.
2: Yeah, but, he, we, uh, he's close to coming back. Eric Stevens said he might be uh, good to go as early as tomorrow. So, that would be... Uh, That'd be a huge welcome back for them. The Ducks have been just decimated on the blue line with all the guys going in and out. Josh Mahara just got sent down a couple days ago, and uh, he was actually looking pretty good, so it was kind of disappointing that he ended up getting sent down. But yeah, I mean, Lindholm will be a welcome addition back to the lineup, especially with Cam Fowler being out for who knows how much longer. So it'll be be great to see him back, hopefully uh, tomorrow against Florida.
1: Yeah, we can hope so, right? I mean, you, the Ducks kind of need another presence back there that with a lot of experience. feel like Lindholm is damn near their best defenseman, if not the best. So having him back would be key. Um, and It's kind of a funny stat you put up here in the pregame. His highest-scoring team goes up against the lowest-scoring team. That's <laughs> pretty embarrassing. I'm in a little quick uh, Twitter argument here with a buddy, Chris, uh, one of our faithful uh, listeners and supporters. But he loves to argue with me, and he's going back and forth about how the Ducks were just as bad almost as bad as the team that is this year, last year. So interesting to, to take a look at those. I still think this team's way worse. Um, but the first period, I, the broadcast even said it, that it was probably their first, like, ba- like the first really good period the ducks have had in a long time. Um, I, I would tend to agree with them. Um, the Ducks didn't give up a ton of chances, I didn't think. Uh, I just felt like it was pretty even for the most part. And I think that's when you're facing the Tampa Bay Lightning, you kind of have to go that route. If you're not going to get your chances, you just got to basically um, stop them from coming into the zone and, and taking advantage.
2: It's kind of like their best first period that they've had uh, without like an excuse attached to it, like the, the game against Toronto, where Toronto had played three games in four nights, where the Ducks played a good first period. But, I mean, how... How much was Toronto really in that game? Like they definitely weren't at 100% after playing that many games in, in that many nights. So I think it was a good effort. I, I mean, I fully expected it to be a lot different. Tampa Bay is a team who loves, especially as of late, to get out to a hot start, uh, and they come at you pretty quick, and they, and they like to the pressure. And uh, the Ducks did a really good job of kind of withstanding that pressure in the first. I think they they even finished the first period only down shots ten to nine. Which was not too bad when you look at the final outcome. So it was a good stable first period from them. I'm I'm a little bit surprised that they're actually able to weather the storm.
1: Yeah, no, I was surprised too. I was really nervous going into this game for the Ducks just because Tampa Bay is such a good team. But uh, Ducks get started in the second period on the power play, having it getting trouble uh, getting trouble set up per usual. Um, I feel like that's an ongoing theme this season. The power play just continues to struggle. Although they've had glimpses where they've been able to bury it. I know they scored one. Henrique had one. Ah, uh, the other night, and then uh, tonight the Ducks also get one, I believe, on the power play. If I'm not mistaken, yes. I think they got one. Yeah. So the Ducks, you know, may- taking care of some chances there, but for the most part, this power play—I've complained about it for several weeks now—it just hasn't been great at all. Uh, Tampa Bay's able to kill it off, and then of course you would expect pressure right back, and it, and it was the Stammer line, Stamkos just buzzing around in the second period. Tampa Bay kind of took over the game, uh, possession-wise here in the second um just big chances and Miller really had to stand on his head and I mean what a game by Ryan Miller after you know not starting I mean when was when was his last start we Uh, had November
2: 18th is what they said yeah
1: so not too long but long enough you're facing the best team in the league arguably the best team in the league yeah so that's a big deal for him um Ducks get a chance, a, a really odd one, too. The puck goes in the corner, and it squirts. It looks like Domingo goes to put his blocker on it. It goes right through the crease anyway. And I think it was, I think, oh man, I want to say it was Auberg was in front of the net and was just able to get a piece, but Domingo was able to make the kick save there. Um, and then going back again, point uh, I somehow gets lost to the neutral zone as is able to split the D on a partial breakaway on a great play by the Lightning. Auberg missing his man there, and uh, Miller had to go with a great blocker save on that play.
2: Yeah, I mean, going back to Domain just a bit, uh, he looked shaky all game. He just didn't look like his, his head he was always? in it. Uh, he, yeah, he's always looked like, uh, he, uh, like I said before when, uh, earlier in the podcast, that uh, he kind of is a borderline NHLer where he'll have his nights every now and then but he's not consistent enough to really be a reliable backup but he'll have games like this where like every puck just bounces off into a juicy rebound and he doesn't he just kind of whiffs on things like he whiffed on that chance with his blocker and it went right through the crease if somebody's there it's in it's in the back of the net and you know even when we get to them later the goals that were let in on him it was it was a clear mismatch when you look at how Ryan Miller played on the other end, he was making some great saves every now and then. Didn't really have to make, uh, you know, a ten bell amazing save, uh, but he was just in good position. You know, he really seemed like he was on his game, which is, I mean, it's kind of what we come to expect from him, right? Even with a nine day gap between his last start, he comes in like he just played two nights ago. So he he looked really good. Yeah, I mean, did you did you catch that
1: that the Braden, or the yeah the Braden point breakaway there? I mean, I went back and watched the replay, and it was like a perfect zone attack by the Lightning because it had a guy with speed coming, just bolting through the middle and it being point. Yeah. And you see Aubrey with the broken controller just watching him skate <laughs> through the neutral zone. And just lets him go right through the defense yeah. there. I had a hard time faulting the defensive pair out there. I believe it was Manson and, and Larson. That's the problem with um, Dalberg
2: is uh, he's got great offensive ability, but he's inconsistent with it. And then when that's not happening, if you're kind of trying to rely on him defensively, there's no there's no defensive responsibility on his part. He just does not want to play defense. That that's unfortunate because like uh, like you said, and Jordan Samuels Thomas put out a great article in the Athletic where he talked about that game-breaking skill that Auburn can bring, but the inconsistency is what really plagues him from being a regular top-six player in this league, and then also the fact that on defense he just does not seem like he wants to play at all. And a uh, tough play for him, because you can't... Like, Braden Point's arguably been Tampa Bay's best player this year, which is insane when you look at the fact that they have Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos, and he's been their leading point-getter. Uh, you can't let that guy, especially the way he's playing, just a free walk up the middle for a breakaway. I mean... Normally, he'll make you pay. It was a great positional save by Ryan Miller.
1: Yeah, no, he had a hell of a save there on point. But the, it, the play would go continue to come into the Anaheim zone. Tampa Bay enters the zone, uh, and Kalorn just kind of floats back behind the defense there. He goes all the way in, and the puck goes up to the slot. It's one of those. It's just a beautiful play here by the Lightning. It's, it looks definitely like it was set up to be this way. Sergeyev gets the puck. Everyone's going to probably think he's shooting at that point, but instead he finds... Uh, what what is to be a Kalorn all alone along the goal line? Who I mean, if that was Stamkos, I gotta say that's in the net because that's I've seen Stamkos make that money shot from uh, from that lower part of the circle all the time off the goal line like that. But yeah. Miller's able to sprawl and make a leg save. Um, I mean, Kalorn did his best to get the shot off there. I don't know how he got you know got lost in the shuffle, but uh, another hell of a save by Ryan Miller.
2: Yeah, he was kind of all over the place here. I, I mean, like I said, nothing ridiculous, but again. Those probably would have been ridiculous saves if he was a little bit out of position, but he was just always in perfect position. He read the plays well, and he just found himself in the right spot to not have to make that ridiculous acrobatic save that maybe we're used to seeing from John Gibson. Uh, Ryan Miller's always kind of been like that, especially later on in his career, where obviously he doesn't have that athleticism anymore. He's really relied on his great positioning to make saves. And uh, I mean, it's so important for the Ducks to have a guy like this back up John Gibson, especially with how bad this team's been on defense this year. And especially in this game where I think it was a bit surprising to see Ryan Miller get the start against arguably the better team in Tampa Bay over the Panthers. I don't know if we want to get into it too much. He was given the start because of his record in the past is good against Tampa Bay. I'm never, fan, <laughs> I'm never a fan of giving a goalie a start because of it. he had a 22-10 and 10 record over his career against Tampa Bay, which, I mean, most of those games are, are probably from when he was playing at Buffalo anyway. So they really have no merit on, one, how Tampa Bay is as a team now, and two, how Ryan Miller is as a goalie. But he proved me wrong. He, he was great. He was phenomenal.
1: Yeah, and I think you got to give Gibby a break anyway, right? They're going to overplay him most of the rest of the way if they're going to even have a chance of making the playoffs. And it's a back-to-back, but I get what you're saying. Why why put your backup against a tougher team? But Miller played outstanding. Um, And then the Ducks would get a break. Manson gets a goal here. Ducks with a harmless-looking zone entry. They can never get anything like set up on the fly like that. At always like their rushes are kind of put to you know no use whatsoever. Puck goes down in the corner. Richie uh, ran some interference. Puck goes back up to Henrique at the side of the net. He has a little jam play on the side of the net. It just happens to pop free and randomly Manson's just lurking. I mean all alone. Picks the up, picks up the loose change. Is able to bury it short side high on Domingo and it's one nothing ducks.
2: Not the guy you expect to make that rush up the ice because uh, jo- uh, Brandon Montal was actually the other guy who was on the ice with Josh Manson at the time. He's the guy you would expect to be in that position but they they interviewed Josh Manson at uh, the intermission as well and, and asked him about that goal and he said he was just waiting there hoping it was going to come out to him. And it was, I mean it was great positioning for him to recognize what was going on behind the net and that it was able to squeak out front to him and a great shot over the uh, the glove of Deming to the top corner. Josh Manson doesn't do that often, but uh, in this game, especially with how good the Tampa Bay Lightning are, especially when they score first, it was a huge goal.
1: Yeah, it was a very much a uh, you know. Thank you very much. We'll take that. No yeah. problem at all. Nice little freebie for Manson. Um, play goes on a little bit. Dodson breaks his stick at the most unfortunate time. Has Stamkos in front of him. S- sends Stamkos on a two-on-one with uh, with Yanni Gord. And apparently, the broadcast says everyone knows Stamkos is going to shoot. I'm like, I don't know if they've been watching Stamkos lately. Yeah. But that dude's become like a hell of a passer. He's become an assist guy. He went from scoring 50, 60 goals a season now to, you know, potting 20 to 30. And he's become an assist man. For whatever reason, changed his game. Um, I don't know what, what that purpose was. But funny how they said that, you know, he's going to shoot. But uh, he does take the shot in this case. Lucky guess, Brian Hayward. Uh, and Miller's able to uh, to cover up the top corner of the net and deny him. Uh, but Tampa Bay wouldn't be left unquestioned in the, f- in the second period here. Time winding down. Bolts get the puck back behind the net. Larson looks at Braden Point, looks at him, sees him, and then looks behind the net and sees Kucherov. Getzloff coming in and kind of worming Kucherov out from behind the net. For whatever reason in the world, he completely forgets oh about man. about Point who's streaking in in a slot like that. He's the most dangerous player on the ice at this point. Um, I mean, you got to take your chances and cover the guy streaking in like that, but he doesn't. And here's what That's happens here. that Probably the best player in the league right now, or most on fire player in the league right now, um, or one of them, I guess you could say, right? Point's killing it this year. Gets an easy goal from the slot, assisted by Kucherov, and now it's 1-1.
2: Yeah, it's it's a play that we've kind of seen a, a fair amount from Jakob Larson lately, especially since his call up. It it's not been something that uh, you want to praise about him. He's had his moments where he's made some good plays, but and you know as of late he's actually looked pretty good. But this is the last guy that uh, you want to look off and and try and get the pass. He he tries to intercept the pass. I think he makes a decision. He looks behind, sees Braden Point. And either hopes that somebody else is going to be able to grab him, or that he's going to be able to block the pass from Nikita Kucherov. But I would not put my money on trying to block a pass from a guy who's got uh, 24 assists in 24 games this year in Nikita Kucherov. I would more so go to the guy in front of the net who has nine goals in his last seven games in Braden Point, and I would try and cover him. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff probably wasn't going to get to Kucherov, so I, I understand. You know, it's not the worst play in the world it's maybe preventing even Kucherov from coming out in front of the net for a wraparound, but 90% of the time when you have a guy wide open in front of the net, you're going to pass it, especially if it's Braden Point. So it, it's not the best decision from Jacob Larson. Uh, and it's, I mean, Braden Point, how, how much more can we say about how great he's been as of late, which is, is surprising because Nikita Kucherov, so it, it's it's insane how the, the, the main star of the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning has transferred over the years. It was... Vanilla Cavalier and Marty St. Louis, and then it was Steven Stamkos, and it was unquestioned it was Stamkos. He scored 60 goals at one point in his career, and then he goes out with injury, and Nikita Kucherov almost takes over and has a 100-point season. And now this year, Braden Point comes out of nowhere, and he's leading the lightning in points in front of Kucherov and Stamkos by a pretty wide margin at this point, I think by almost six or seven points on each of them, which, it's just ridiculous how they keep finding these guys. I mean, Kucherov was a... I'm probably wrong, but I believe he was a, a either a fourth round, a fourth round pick, or a fifth round pick. Braden Point's a third round pick, and they're getting these guys. I mean, th- two of the best players on their team right now, and they're getting these guys outside the first and second round. It, it's just insane.
1: You don't find diamonds like that in the draft anymore. It's rare. No. It's very rare you find a guy that deep that's that productive. So Point will not be denied. Gets on the board with just hardly any time remaining in the period. Ducks go to the third period tied at one. Coming out here, the Cogs line actually gets some chances. Kessler uh, on a on a tip play goes over the bar. Both teams I felt were flying in and out with zone entries. Odd man rushes to be you know to begin the game, but uh, Kucherov would hook Raquel and would send the Ducks back on the power play. Lots of movement on this power play, which I was very surprised by, Eddie. I was very yeah. shocked the Ducks were able to get this going. Auberg with a bomb whizzes it from the high slot over the top of the net It bounces off the glass, comes back behind um but Deming and then both Kessler and Richie swat at the puck and from my angle at home, I don't know about anybody else listening, but from my angle at home it looked like it was a high stick play at first. I was like, oh damn it. maybe they because yeah. I just saw the stick angled above but they were swinging down. Um, and everyone and even even Deming like went to the referee after it went in. But both guys thought they scored, it looked like, to me. But they would eventually get the goal to Nick Ritchie, who uh, has been flying out of the gate since he's come back from injury here. We'll talk about him in a bit. But uh, a much-needed power play goal, a, a decent-looking power play at that, yeah. and they give
2: him the one lead. Yeah, the, the power play, we mentioned it on, I think, probably the last three or four podcasts, how the passing has been better, but it's all perimeter passing. And I don't think that's necessarily changed. But they've figured out how to finally put the puck in the back of the net in the power play. It's back-to-back games. They scored a power play goal against Nashville the other night. And now they have one against Tampa Bay here. So hopefully they can get a streak going because you know, it's not the prettiest power play goal that they're ever going to score. It bounces out in front and it's a, it's a swat fest from Richie and Kessler to kind of put that in the back of the net. So it's not one you're going to look at and say, let's do that every time. Uh, but still, it, it is a power play goal. They had some good movement on the power play tonight on, on some of their power plays. And again, Nick Ritchie, I mean, the start that he's had, kind of quietly, nobody's really talking about him. It's all about Andre Kasher coming back from injury and, and Getzlaff and Raquel finally getting going. And even Carter Rowney tonight getting a goal in his first game back. A lot of the talk was about him, but Ritchie has... Spoiler alert. Yeah, I mean, R- Ritchie has seven points in in his first 11 games. I mean that's nothing to to blame. i mean that you, that's that's a pretty good start from a guy who a lot of people have, have written off as a fourth liner a guy's not going to put up too many points uh, i mean he's he's had a harder start than most ducks have had this year
1: it's just more or less the thing of uh, if you're not scoring goals, you're not noticeable unless you're putting up like 30 or 40 assists a season, right? I mean, you got to be putting up the big numbers of people to be like, oh, you're an assist guy. It makes sense you're not scoring. But, yeah. I mean, for Richie, I agree. It's a hell of a start for him. It was good on him to get the goal there. Uh, Ducks would score less than a minute later. Carter Rowney. Um, Point shot by Pedersen never makes it through. Domingue kind of loses it in the shuffle. Like He's all set. He looks this way. Oh, no, he looks back this way. By the time he looks this way and then comes back, Brownie has already taken the puck with his head up, goes to the backhand. Domingue does his best to make a sprawl, but isn't able to uh, cover up enough of the net. And all of a sudden, we got an excited moms group up in the suite (laughs) at Tampa on the moms trip as the
2: Ducks take a 3-1 lead. What's surprising is uh, how much Carter Rowney improved Fox the play of the fourth the line tonight uh, you know, I saw he was coming back into the lineup but the really I all didn't all think he was going to do was do was was gonna add too much over Kosla who was, was scratched or even Ben Street who was scratched as well but Carter Rowney had a great game not even even before the goal on, on the penalty kill he was probably the Ducks best forward at disrupting plays and just a, a great great job for him in his first game back I, I was really surprised I'm really excited to see if he can continue that obviously he's not going to score goals on a nightly basis but you know, I, I was more impressed with what he did on, on the opposite end of the puck, uh, especially on the penalty kill. So great for him to chip in a goal. Uh, really excellent play for him to elevate that on the back end, too. It's not a, not an easy thing to do, especially for a guy who's not used to putting the puck in the back of the net, uh, and he throws it in the perfect spot uh, away from Louis Domingue. So it was great effort and a huge, huge insur- insurance goal at that time, too.
1: Speaking of insurance, how about Ryan Miller with the save shortly after that goal? Kalorn, with a number of chances in tonight's game, and, he, and somehow the puck bounces from the corner to him, literally all alone in the slot. For, it goes backhand, back to his forehand, tries to lift it over the blocker of Miller. Miller denies him there. Even the broadcast does their, remember that one. I remember Ryan Miller. They always say, remember that, remember that play. They always say the same thing. I, I mean, we kill them on this show, I know, man. But like, it's when you watch the same thing all the time, you end up finding little nuances that drive you crazy.
2: Yeah. I think
1: if like another fan watched your broadcast, they wouldn't hate it right away. So <laughs> I hate that we have to kill those guys sometimes. But, but yeah, they made their usual comment about a goalie making a save. The Lightning seemingly just couldn't be forced out of the zone at this point either. The Ducks couldn't do anything to get him out. So what does that mean? Ducks take a penalty. Um, and then what does that mean not too long after that? Why wouldn't they take another penalty? So they did. And Tampa Bay gets a five-on-three power play. But, honestly, the only chance on that power play was a, a, a slot deflection like on a shot pass. In front of the net that JT Miller wasn't able to bury in in front of Ryan Miller and he was visibly pissed about it, you know, hunched over like you could see him like slam a stick against his knees. He wasn't happy about that at all. But the Ducks get away with uh, being downed by two men. Um, And I mean, really, that's the only chances I felt like they had towards the rest of this period. They got some odd shots in. But I mean, really, that was the most dangerous play.
2: Yeah, and again, it's a testament to how good the penalty kill was tonight. There wasn't a lot of opportunity for Tampa Bay on the power play. And you have to remember, this is the fifth best power play in the league, coupled with, again, the the top goal-scoring team in the league as well. This is a team who makes you pay, especially when you take a lot of penalties, and especially when you give them a decent amount of time on, on a five-on-three. And uh, the Ducks did not allow many chances against, like you said, really only the, the slot-tip chance that Ryan Miller pretty saved pretty easily. So... Carter Rowney was out there on the penalty kill. Brian Kibbins is out there on the penalty kill. And guys that you normally don't expect to be in that position, Ryan Kessler hasn't really been able to be on the penalty kill this year because of his issues coming back from injury. They don't really like to use Ryan Getzloff out there. Adam Henrique obviously doesn't get used. So a lot of the responsibility comes down to fourth-line guys. And you know, you're know you going up against Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos, Brayden Point, Victor Hedman. I mean, these are some of the elite players in the game. And I think it was a great effort for them not only to not let Tampa score a goal, but just to completely limit the chances that they had.
1: Well, we can't get out of this game without talking about the dirtiest play of the night uh, from probably the best player on the ice. Braden Point comes in, goes wide on the defense, cruises right in to Ryan Miller at full speed. I didn't see him pump the brakes or try to slow down by much. Maybe he did a little bit. But his skates were angled to the net. It wasn't like he was turning sideways and was shoved. It kind of did that, you know, the stop and then fall over on top of the goalie. He absolutely bulldozed Ryan Miller. Miller went down, shaken up a little bit. Nick Ritchie comes in flying, grabs him, and uh, wasn't able to do any real damage to him. But I hate that play. Um, He's in his crease. I sometimes tease Jason about. About, you know, when a goalie's behind the net and he gets clipped and he does the whole, oh, I'm dead and my helmet flies off, my stick goes everywhere because I'm wearing 40 pounds of pads and I'm going to cry like a little baby. But this time Miller's in his net. He's not eligible to be hit at at any rate, in my opinion. I don't care you know, how tough do you think the game needs to be? I was very disappointed that it was only a two, honestly, because it was really dirty, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, there really was no push on Braden Point, and there really was no effort from Point to, to stop and not run over uh, Miller. Uh, he does get in close. It would have been difficult for him to stop at all, but he doesn't even make the attempt to try to. He, you know, he had about, uh, about a foot and a half, probably, to stop in front of Ryan Miller, and he decides to just keep going through and following in. And, and just bulldozes him, which is, is a really dirty play from a guy that you normally don't expect that to come from. And it's unfortunate. I mean there was no chippiness in that game. There was real no reason for Braden Point to to go out and do that. Um, and, and it's it's a tough one to really figure out and wonder why he made that decision. you know a lot of times even when guys don't stop you can look at it and say maybe he was pushed. Or maybe there it was just so close that he was cutting to the net. There really was no time for him to stop. But I, th- I think on both of those instances, there really was none of them involved. He wasn't pushed and he had enough time to probably at least stop, like you said, and maybe maybe fall over onto to Miller after or maybe just avoid it in general and, and maybe make the collision a lot less severe. Luckily, Ryan Miller wasn't hurt, but it, it was a, a borderline dirty play for sure.
1: Yeah, it wasn't like it was the play earlier in the game where Ryan Kessler pushed somebody over on top of Miller. It wasn't like that. It, it was it was blatant, it was obvious. Um, I I don't like that kind of play whatsoever. I mean, I mean, I know that Ryan Miller also has a history of, you know, being hurt. I remember I mean, this was years ago, but he got cr- absolutely crushed by Milan Lucic back in the day when Miller played on Buffalo and I remember that one. Miller comes out of the crease to play the puck and yeah. this oh my god, Lucic is like a linebacker <laughs> in hockey and just crushed this Thank god this stick Point is figure in pads. Otherwise, I know. Uh... So the Ducks are able to hold on here. They played really well shorthanded. Um, Miguel uh, underscore G4. He's in our speaker chat still. He's probably the only one in speaker chat. I've apologized profusely in there for whatever reason. My mic's not working right now. But uh, he says he was really impressed with the Ducks shorthanded. I felt like at the end of the game, I was really impressed too because they had a poll pull in the goalie there, making it six on four when the Ducks take a penalty there at the end. And uh, you know what? The Ducks held on. I think they played a really solid game. Um, yeah, they were outshot. But uh, I feel like the quality of chances were equal looking at both ways.
2: Yeah, we, you could kind of figure they were going to be outshot. Like we mentioned at the beginning of the, of the podcast saying you're going against the top scoring team in the league and the Ducks are second last in shots against per game at over 35. No surprise, they allowed 35 again in this game. So, you kind of expected that. Um, but for a game where it was, the shots were 35 to 22, it didn't really look like that. I think the Ducks played a solid game defensively. A lot of the shots that Tampa Bay had were from the perimeter. There really weren't too many golden scoring chances they had. And the ones that they did have, Ryan Miller was in a good position to make the save. So I, I think it was a well-rounded performance where you got good cold tending because you needed it. If they didn't get good cold tending in this one, they, they probably wouldn't have come out with the win. But they also played well on the penalty kill, which was huge because this is one of the better power plays, as we mentioned. And they cashed in on the opportunities that they had, which is something we can't say that the Ducks do all three of those on a regular basis. And it was nice to see that, especially against such a good team, too.
1: Yeah, and you know, I just looking at the high danger chances for and against, I mean, not even just at five on five, but overall, it was only twelve to eleven against the highest potent offense in the league. Yeah. Not a bad showing for the Ducks, given the circumstances, the injuries, everything that's going on, um, with how bad they've been playing as of late. I think this was a solid win. And maybe they could take this win and win tomorrow. Maybe bring this as like a hey, we could beat Tampa, now we could beat Florida. I know it's easier said than done, clearly. I mean, after they beat the Predators, I felt like they didn't bring that with them in their next game. So hopefully, that continues to happen for them. Uh, getting down here to the post game notes, that we've wrapped up the game breakdown. Um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about Nick Ritchie, right? We, we spoke yeah. a little bit about how well he's played, but is this something you think that he can keep up and maybe you know put up 20, 20 goals this season? Is that too much to ask of Rich? Uh, he's got what the it's how like many games goals. are left in the season?
2: Uh, a little less than sixty games. There would be 56 games left after tonight.
1: So, I mean, I could see you could put up about 10 to 15 goals this season and maybe put up another 10 assists, 15 assists.
2: Yeah, if, if he carried on the same pace right now, uh, scoring two goals in 11 games, he would score 10 more. So he'd be at 12 if it was the same pace. Uh, more significant than that is he would put up, because he's at uh, six uh, or five assists too. So then he would put up 25 assists. So he'd be looking at... Twelve goals, twenty-five assists, thirty-seven points. That's a pretty good year from Nick Ritchie in only what would be if he played every single game. Sixty-seven games played. I would love that type of year from Nick Ritchie. Obviously, that you know that's a, a fifty-six games away. We have no idea if he's going to continue that pace or not. Uh, Twenty goals is a, is kind of a stretch at this point. Um, he's played it's a huge well. ask. Yeah, he's played well, but the goal scoring really hasn't been there. He's more so more so just been involved in the play, which is something I, I still don't mind seeing from him. And he's kind of gelled on that line as well. So I, I think you know asking for 30 points at this point is, isn't unrealistic. I think that would be more likely. Maybe even like a 10-20, 10 goals, 20 assists. That'd be a great year for Nick. And I think that'd be a huge step forward, something that we definitely didn't expect. And a, a good kind of redeeming quality for him after holding out so long for a contract, what turned out to be not really a, a significant contract either. And uh, now coming back and playing well, I think even just right now with the start he's had, even if he tails off a bit, he's proven that he wants to be here and he's dedicated to, to you know improving his game and being involved more offensively.
1: Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely something I want to see you continue to do. I mean, we've beaten up on him, but he had a stretch last season where it was like, holy hell. Remember, he and Henrique, um were playing really great on that line together. So there's there's opportunity for Nick Ritchie to be successful um, but we gotta we gotta we gotta talk about the forever mighty three stars tonight uh, a guy that always gets shots for the ducks yeah. and generates offense for the ducks had literally zero shots on goal tonight. and we're talking about Andre Kasha nobody got own that. own real stat for him I would have never guessed that I figured he's at least gonna have two shots
2: a game that's just yeah. the kind of style he plays I haven't so, checked but I guarantee uh, nobody got that one. and the other we had a bonus question that was if he played. He's going to play more than 17 minutes, which wasn't out of the question because he's been up and down over that pretty much in, in his first seven games. But he only played like 13:30 tonight. So I feel like a lot of people were on the wrong end of the third and the bonus question tonight. So sorry for that. I think it was, a, it was a good question to expect that maybe Andre Cash would have at least one shot on goal the way he's been playing, which, again, it makes no sense that they took him off that first line to play him on the second line. I don't know why they did that, but eh, what are you going to do?
1: Hey, shout out to Christopher Iyer for subscribing to our YouTube, man. Thanks for doing that. If you were a speaker listener and had to go over there, sorry for the issue, but uh, welcome to YouTube, and uh, thanks for joining us um, on our post-game show. I got to bring up the tweet that went out today, and it's actually one that I've been, like I said earlier, I was arguing with our buddy Chris about, um, and it's about the Ducks' performance when it comes to shots on goal, the offense, it's just all been bad this season it was uh elliot teaford says uh you know it came out via elliot friedman the NHL ducks are threatening the 1974-1975 expansion washington capitals for the highest shots per game average in history at 38.3 the ducks have yielded the second highest in the nhl this season at 35.6 ottawa is averaging a league high 38.3 same as eight win washington I don't know what that means. Uh, that, that
2: team, that Washington team, only won eight games that year. Oh, okay, yeah. that was oh, oh, okay, that season only won eight games. Yeah. I remember
1: that. I remember that. I was just like, yeah. oh, he's not, he's not talking about Washington now. I got kind of got lost in that tweet. But the 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 stats there about the Ducks. Um, I quote tweeted that and said, uh, "Yeah, that's what you call a system issue, Randy Carlyle." What else? And is it? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, the player personnel has not changed drastically. Um, Yeah, we've had rookies in uh, this season. I understand that. But uh, the defense, I mean, even when this team was 100% healthy on defense, they look lost at times. Uh, This Brandon Montour, Cam Fowler, um, you know, dream that we came into last year just hasn't come back together. They haven't put them back together on the same line. They've, again, put Hampus and Manson on different lines Um, at times. They're playing around with the kids yeah. So you have star defensemen playing with kids and then pulling them around the ice their rookie season. So sure, there's some injury issues. But honestly, I mean, even when this team's is 100% healthy, they didn't look like a good team defensively. So yielding all these shots against is brutal. And I don't know how you look at anything other than uh, Marty Wilford and, uh, and, and looking at uh, Randy Carlisle. Honestly, it, it's the damn system, whatever guy put in place.
2: Yeah. And, and the funny thing is it's gotten slightly better for the Ducks because I think probably a month ago, a little bit over a month ago. They were actually averaging more than that Washington Capitals team. It was like 30, uh, verging on 39 shots against per game early on in the season. And now it's it's obviously gotten down to... It's still not good at, at over 35, but it, it's gotten better. But again, they, they kept pace tonight. They allowed 35 shots against. The Senators, despite winning 4-3 over the Flyers, they kept pace and they allowed 37 shots against tonight. So both teams are making a, a bid to go for that record. It's not something you want to have happen, but I don't know how, yeah, you, you can look at it and say it's anything but a, a system issue, especially for the Ducks. If you look at the Senators, you just look at the talent. They have on ice, and it's not good enough anyway. So that kind of makes sense. It's a mix of both, I think, for the Sens. Their their system isn't that great. To begin with, it wasn't last year. Guy Boucher has not really been a good fit there. But the talent on ice for them isn't good anyway. Their defense, after losing Eric Carlson... Is, is awful, and and you know all they really have is Thomas Chabot, and, and he's more of an offensive defenseman than a defensive defenseman. And then you look at the players they even have up front. A lot of them are more offense driven than anything. You look at Mikhail Bodker, Matt Duchesne, These are guys that generally think offense over defense. So I get I get that, but for the Ducks, I mean, on paper they're a lot better team than, than they shouldn't be allowing 35 shots against, especially when everybody's healthy on the blue line. It's one of the better blue lines in the Western Conference, you would have to say. And then when you look at the center depth that they have and, and just the talent they have in the lineup, they shouldn't be allowing 35 shots against. And, and even just in the in the past, the, the Ducks, even without great goaltending, last year, John Gibson was great, but the team defensively as a whole was better. And that's why they were in, I believe they finished top 10 in, in goals against. So something has changed or it, it's manifested this year where Randy Carlisle has tried to change that style of play that he had that really wasn't working and make it and adapt it to try and be a faster style of play, which we've already talked about at nauseum this year, where he's trying to sped up that, that system that he has and it's just so disorganized and the ducks just really aren't in good position. And, and some of the guys just seem like they don't really understand what's going on. And then you have plays like Jakob Larson tonight where, just not even paying attention to, to brain point in front of the net. And yeah, some of that's on him, but a lot of that's on the system as well, where he's relying on somebody maybe to be there. And that person is relying on Jakob Larson to take his man. And then it, it results in a goal. There's been a number of situations like that this year. And, and you kind of have to put most of the blame on Randy Carlyle's system. You have to,
1: it's him Morrison and uh, Wilford, uh, whatever they've done uh, this off season, uh, going into the season, just hasn't been working. So Let's get to our questions here. We have one from Nightwolf on Instagram. He says, uh, you guys have said on previous shows that Carlisle should be fired. Oh, here we go. <laughs> as <laughs> early as December and as late as the end of the season, with the with fire Carlisle chance dying down with and Fowler and Lindholm injuries still going on, do you think there's any chance he starts as head coach next season? My answer is no. no. I don't think he does. I don't think Bob can hire him again. it's you can't have these kinds of starts and let's be honest uh last season's ducks team was carried by ryan getzloff um at times the henry klein and john gibson i mean that that was the majority of it for me i mean getzloff had an insane second half and gibson played lights out um and then this year you're looking at at uh if they are able to turn this around and come all the way back up and uh, start winning games and be healthy and, and get in and they're still hemorrhaging shots well then again you're looking at john gibson um I don't know what else there is to say. It, it, the way they looked against the Sharks in the playoffs was nothing short of embarrassing, just embarrassing, the level of play that they had to uh, put up towards uh, the Sharks. I, it wasn't even comparable to what the Sharks were doing. It was embarrassing to watch. So I don't think Carlyle's coming back. Whether or not he's going to be fired, oh, my God, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's going to make Bobby feel a little bit better because he'll fire his friend and prove that he was wrong yeah. than it is just to wait out his contract and say, see you later.
2: Yeah, I I don't think he comes back. I really don't see any situation. I mean, if we go complete to an extreme here and say even if he won the Cup, I don't think they bring him back. It becomes a, a Barry Trotz situation where if they were to come back all the way and win the Cup, he'd obviously be getting pretty much all of the praise from the media, right? And then he'd be asking for a ridiculous contract that the ducks wouldn't want to shell out and couldn't afford anyway, so that that's on a, obviously an extreme that I think a lot of us don't expect to happen. But you know that that's the the best case scenario. Of course, is that the ducks would win the cup. I think even at that point they don't bring him back. So if they just make the playoffs, wherever they exit, even especially if they miss the playoffs just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for at this point to bring it back. I think the Ducks are looking for a new direction. You look at the fact that Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry, and, and Ryan Kessler's contracts are coming up soon. You would think they would bring in a guy, maybe like Dallas Eakins or even Ricard Gromborg or somebody else to bring in to kind of help that transition to uh, to the next stage of Ducks hockey. And then maybe two or three years down the road, you you make that higher to really help develop a young team if you go through, if you want to go down that route or maybe that guy you hired to replace Carlisle ends up working out, but I, I just don't see it happening. There's no situation in my mind where Bob, Morris, Bob Murray sits down and says, yeah, we're, we're going to bring him back and we're going to sign him to a long-term deal. Uh, it, it wouldn't make sense for the franchise.
1: No, I agree, and I'm on the uh, Ricard Gromberg train now. I know that he was actually just waiting for me to say I wanted him to Anaheim before he would actually admit it. That's why he didn't oh, yeah. say it in our interview. Clearly, God's. You've clearly, been you know.
2: you've been the only guy down on him out of the three of us, and now you've jumped <laughs> on the bandwagon and you want him here. After speaking with him, he changed my mind.
1: It, it really, it really, he really did. After speaking about uh, speaking with him and reading up a lot on him uh, prior to the interview, it, it really convinced me that uh, he would do well in the NHL. I think so yeah. uh, much better than grabbing a guy out of NCAA. To be honest with you. Look at Dave Hackstall. He probably should have been fired a long time ago. Uh, He's still got a job. I don't know for how much longer in Philly, but we'll see. Uh, anyways, so Chad Clevenger on Instagram says, what do you guys think of Rowney's comeback tonight? Um, Eddie kind of touched on it a little bit. I think he had a good game. It was awesome to see him get a goal. He excited all the moms up there in the, in the suite. So uh, good on him. I, I feel like uh, after missing 20 games, I felt that he played a solid game.
2: Yeah, he did. I, I didn't expect him to come back and, and have a great game or a noticeable game. He, he's a guy that when he's playing well, you don't really notice the plays he does because a lot of the things he does well is on the defensive end of the puck. But uh, you notice the big plays and the big interceptions he made on the penalty kill, which was huge, especially on the 5-on-3, and then obviously scoring the goal. So a great welcoming back party for, for Carter Rowney. I think he's established his his spot on that fourth line now. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Cali Kosala... Get sent down soon. Um, I have no idea how he's doing after that uh, that knee knee hit that he suffered the other night. Uh, obviously, we we didn't get an update. He was just scratched tonight. I would assume as a healthy scratch or, or maybe just for precautionary reasons. But he did take some bad penalties last game too. No, no, so. for sure. I, and it, it, well, I think it was deserved for maybe him to go out of the lineup. You know, he did score the goal against Vancouver, but. Um, a little bit, you know, looked like a, a fish out of water sometimes in, in some of the games he played. So I think it would be beneficial for him to go back down to San Diego. And then I guess Ben Street just kind of stays as that, uh, that 13th forward for the foreseeable future. But uh, it's a great effort from for Carter Rowney. He, he helped Brian Gibbons look pretty good in this game too, which is always good. Brian mm-hmm. Gibbons has been a bit disappointing. A lot of Ducks fans have been on his case. But uh, that fourth line as a whole looked pretty good tonight. So Tom
1: Walsh on Facebook says, "What was the deal with the last power play by the Ducks? It was horrible. Um, they couldn't really get anything started." I want to address that because I knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. Um. I I think the Ducks broadcast even mentioned during uh, the game that it was like, well, I mean, if all they have to do is you know you know knock two minutes out of this out of this, uh, you know, that's what they can do here. It's probably a good thing. It's kind of like, well, that's a nice way of saying the power play sucked and didn't look at whatsoever. It's like almost like a purposeful kill at one point. Um. Uh, Andrew Cogliano came out on on the power play, and that's where the kind came out, well, they're not definitely not trying to score here. So it, it was pretty much prevent defense at that point. Uh, I think Carlisle knew that they probably weren't going to be able to turn
2: that power play around there, but that's uh, yeah, okay. They had the 3-1 lead at that point, and no harm, no foul. Yeah, it's, it's always funny watching some of these teams come in here with really good power plays, and just watching how easy it is for them to get, uh, get clean zone entries. I mean, just watching uh, Tampa Bay every time they get the puck enter the zone cleanly, just with speed, it's ridiculous. And then you watch the Ducks, and it's the same play every time. They'll come up to center do that ridiculous drop pass back to either Brandon Montjo or Ryan Getzlaff, or Ricard Raquel, whoever's back there. And then every, every team knows now that that guy's not going to give up the puck. He's going to skate to the blue line and make a little chip pass to the guy on the boards, and then they're going to try and dump it in and, and set up the perimeter. That's what they do every single time. And it's just comical watching, especially Tampa Bay and even Nashville. Just clean zone entries, just because they're using speed and making a pass a couple of feet before the blue line to open up uh, to open up space. You have a, a man advantage; there should be a guy open, but the Ducks take their time and allow the opposing team to set up a, a wall of four guys where they can't really get a clean zone entry. So it, it's it's ridiculous to watch it watch that happen on a continual basis, and and somehow the Ducks. Coaching staff in the video room doesn't notice it and doesn't change it. <laughs> they notice it. They're like, "Oh, we, if we do
1: it enough, uh, we're going to get our chances." So yeah, and they scored they a goal still, tonight. they still got so... fifty-six games. Yeah, they scored a goal tonight, so I'm sure it's not going to change anytime soon. It ain't broke, don't fix it. I think that is the last question that i was able to find on social media unless you have one more hidden
2: i got one more that we got on twitter uh 20 minutes ago uh from sierra a friend over at pucks of a feather um she said november is almost over which duck has shocked you the most this month good and bad so for good which duck has shocked you the most in november
1: Hmm, beard
2: wise beard wise you're talking about? You say Movember? No, no, in November. Which which ducks? Which duck player has shocked you the most or surprised you the most most in November? Um, beard wise.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I thought you said like Movember. You're talking about beards then for a second. There, I was like, I don't know. I don't pay attention to the face. I would have said I would have said uh, with his uh, you know, his Western style Marshall mustache. But uh, we're talking about players that have shocked the most. Um, I would have to say. Andre Kasha's return has been phenomenal. That's the easy one to grab. And on the negative side of things, I think I'd have to point at, ah, shoot, that's a, it's kind of a tough one. But I would have to say Ricard Raquel's inability to score goals, honestly, at this point, and not look flashy despite playing with uh, Ryan Getzloff. Yeah, he's got assists mm-hmm. right now, but uh, Ricard Raquel's there to put the puck in the net, and he just hasn't been able to do it. What about for you?
2: for me shocked the surprised me the most is Nick Ritchie and, in and coming back and, and putting up seven points in 11 games, arguably been one of the most productive ducks in, in that period of time. So I think for me, he's surprised me the most, the guy who's kind of been disappointing for me is Jakob Silverberg. And he really awesome. hasn't, he really hasn't done anything since that hot start. He's, he's sitting on five goals, six assists and 11 points and now 20, 20 games this year. It hasn't looked good, really, since he went out with injury for a bit and came back. He's been up and down the lineup. He's been on the third line. He's been on Kessler's line at times. Now he's, he Tonight he was up with Getzlaff and Raquel. Uh, didn't yeah. do anything. Again, I have no idea why they broke up Kasher, Ricard, Raquel, and, and Ryan Getzlaff. That line looked dynamic over the last few games that they've played. Maybe they're trying to get Jakob Silver going by putting him on that top line, but... Didn't work, Probably. Tonight. didn't work tonight because both of those lines really didn't look that good. So hopefully Kasha gets put back up there, but Silverberg needs to get something going. We, we were talking about in the early part of the season that if he continues this pace, the Ducks are going to get a lot for him at the deadline. And uh, he's really slowed down significantly. I think he has one assist over his last five games.
1: I, I feel like the reason why I picked Kasha is just because you figure a guy coming back from two concussions yeah. wouldn't be as tenacious on the puck. But that guy just doesn't give up. He's flying every time he's on the ice. So that's really impressed me. And he had a big year last year. So it's great to see him come out with the same effort. But you're right about Jakob Silberberg. And I would even say Ryan Kessler, honestly. Yeah, kind of disappointed in his return as well. But Ricard uh, Raquel's a lot
2: of Ricard people on uh, with- uh, YouTube chat agree with you on Ricard Raquel. Uh, pretty much. It's everybody. Yeah. Uh, David asked uh, Do you think he's trying to, or do you think he's being too flashy? And that's why things aren't really working out for Ricard Raquel? He doesn't look dangerous. Yeah. He just
1: doesn't look dangerous. That's the thing. Like, it's usually goal scorers get in that spot to be dangerous on their own. Um, I mean look at a, a dynamic goal scorers across the league. They're in the right spot at the right time. And Raquel's just not in the right spot at the right time. I mean it's just obvious something's off in his game, whatever it is. Maybe it's just a down year. I don't know. He had a colossal year, right, previously. And then coming yeah. into this year, a lot of pressure, but still, um, I don't know what it is about him, but he, I just don't see him in those spots. I mean, the best play he's had, to my recent memory, obviously is the goal he had against Edmonton. Mm-hmm. He's, on pace it took for, a rebound. he's
2: on pace for like <laughs> 15 goals or something this year. Uh, for yeah for nick ritchie output on nick ritchie's high end that's great he's got four and 25 so i I mean he he is capable unlike i think nick ritchie not to discredit ritchie but to go on a hot streak i think and and put the puck in the in the back of that maybe even if you want to compare him to like brayden point i think raquel's a guy who could go on a a nine goals and seven game streak and put himself back in conversation for 30 goals but hasn't shown it this year and I mean, imagine having back-to-back 30-goal seasons and taking a step down to, to under 20. Uh, I think for him to have a somewhat successful campaign, uh, he needs to get over 20, in, in, at least in goals, and then probably hit somewhere around 30, 35, 40 in assists and, and get hit that 50, 60-point mark. I think that would be a nice renaissance revival for him after his, his struggle to start the season. I mean, assists-wise, he's kind of set up for a pretty good season probably one of his better seasons usually he's kind of on par where he sits 30 and 30 something around that in, in goals and assists but you know it'll be like what we saw in Corey Perry in his transition from goals to assists I, I know it's a little bit different because Perry's just kind of because of age but that's the type of season it looks like we're going to see from Raquel but you know that's one of the main reasons the Ducks are second last in goals four because this is the guy we rely on to be leading the Ducks in scoring and he's got four
1: yeah, I mean, we got to talk about it here. He's got he had an All Star game appearance last year. Scored his first hat trick last year. He was a beast. I, I don't know what changes from last year to this year, but he's just not finding himself in in the right spots. I mean, you don't notice him.
2: Yeah, he gets a couple of chances. It's confidence in the system. I think, and I know it It sounds like a cop-out blaming everything. Blame Carlisle. Yeah, blame Carlisle. It, it blame It does, right? It sounds like a cop-out to blame everything on Randy <laughs> Carlisle. But honestly, when you have no confidence in the system you're playing and you really don't know where you're supposed to be or where other guys are going to be on the ice or how you're supposed to get set up, it just looks like sometimes he's out there and he's lost, trying to find a spot to be in. There's really no set play for to get him to puck. If you, if you want this offense to work and if you want Raquel to thrive, when he's on the ice, especially with Ryan Getzlav, every play or most of the play should be set up to for him to succeed. They should be set up so that he's in a good spot to put the puck in the back of the net, and they don't do that. They just pass around the perimeter when they get set up. They look for the perfect pass, and that's it. But Ricard Raquel is out there just kind of waiting for the puck to come to a stick because there is no play to get him the puck in a good position, and, and you've seen that. It's a difference from last year. When Raquel was on the ice last year, the place that the Ducks had were set up for Ricardo Raquel to put the puck in the back of the net and they just don't have that this year no I'd agree I don't know what else to say about him um, we got any questions in chat YouTubers
1: anybody in YouTube want to ask a question before we wrap tonight um, uh, we're running almost at an one effort.
2: last question uh, he said would you guys take Kalorn in a second for Silverberg? Mm. I don't know what Kalorn's salary is but I'm finding out right now, it, and how many years he has left. But if it's a, a straight swap in that sense, so like, let, so if the if the Ducks were in a playoff spot or going to push for a playoff spot, I think I would take that deal. Depending on what was left on on the board, if you can get a first round pick, I think you take that because a Tampa Bay second is almost basically a third round. pick. So
1: Kalorn is 29 years old; he'll turn 30 this off season. He's in the third year of a seven year deal. He's got a no trade clause to uh, this year and next year, then to modify it for the
2: remaining three after that. How much is he he's not pay? going
1: anywhere. Um, he's, he's cheap. Four point
2: four five. Oh, I, so I don't. So do he's not no. making a lot of money. I don't. I don't do that though. No, not a chance. The no way Bob Murray does that either. There's no way he puts. And I don't want it. That.
1: It's too much money remaining in the thirties for a guy that's. Um, I don't think he's going to put up, you know, insane numbers, right? Yeah, uh, that's I think a little bit much he's... for
2: him too, for what he kind of brings. I know he's a, a good secondary scoring guy, but four point four.
1: He has as many points as Jacob Silverberg right now. So he's at 11 points. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, if if he was He's on a the, 30, 40 point guy. So. If he, yeah. If he was making that, like if he was making around two or three for a couple more seasons, or if he was like on the last part of his deal, if it was like a straight UFA for UFA plus the second round pick, I'd probably do it just because you get a guy to maybe put up the same production and help you push in the playoffs. And then you also get that second round pick as compensation where you can go out and try and find a good player in the late part of the second round. Uh, But with that that contract, there's no way. There's no way the Ducks aren't going to want to bring on a a salary hit like that for the next, what, four years with a no trade clause and a modified no move clause. There's no way they're going to put themselves in that, especially because of the expansion draft. We're going to find out in a couple days if Seattle gets this team or not. If, if you have a guy in there that you have to protect in, in Kalorin, uh that puts the Ducks in a horrible spot because you've already got to protect mm-hmm. a, a lot of guys, Ryan Getslav, Corey Perry, Ryan Kessler, and now you're going to add Kalorin to that mix. That's not a guy you want to have to protect uh, going into the expansion draft and, and expose somebody else.
1: Well, uh, that is it for us tonight, everybody um want to give a shout out to cool hockey uh, jason reminded me last week to our last game to pump them i had forgot to pump them earlier in the show but uh they're the ones who give away the jerseys for, for our uh, forever mighty three star they've been supporting us for a, uh, a little over i think eight months now they've, yeah. they've come on board when we started the post game show so it's been amazing um they've been giving away awesome jerseys they have a great product they're not a knockoff product from china you're going to get it direct from them. Um, you can get them all customized too. They're, they do brilliant work there. We really appreciate all the support. Um, and I believe our our discount code is uh, is FM twenty, right? Yeah. So you can get twenty percent off a jersey. You want to buy a jersey? It's Christmas time. Uh, go ahead and pick one up there. Just use our promo code FM20. Cool Hockey is amazing. Go check them out there. Um, And then also YouTube. Everyone listening to us right now is probably on YouTube. But if you're (laughs) listening to this and it's not live because we ripped the audio off of YouTube and put it on Spreaker because for whatever reason, Spreaker died, um, we would appreciate if you would go onto YouTube Hit the bell that notifies you when we go live. Um, We're still in the works. We're talking amongst ourselves about putting up more videos uh, throughout the week, even though it's insane to think about considering we do these these shows after every game. But we want to bring more content and more video content. Um, Click that bell on there. It uh, will alert you when we go live, like I said. And hit subscribe. That helps us get noticed as well. Eddie puts a lot of hard work into all these YouTube live streams. So golf clap for Eddie for putting together all the visuals. We appreciate that. Um, and if you could, I know it's kind of annoying, ask, but if you could go to iTunes and subscribe there and leave us a comment, uh, a review. Actually, a review does a review goes a long way. It doesn't seem like it, but a five star rating and a review goes a long way to help us get noticed as well. And then uh, Patreon to close it out. That's the last bit of uh, back padding we'll do tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually recording one of our. Uh, one of our shows tonight, one of the bonus shows, we're doing a top 10, and I get to pick the top 10. The top 10 we're talking about tonight is the Ducks' top 10 worst trades, in my opinion. I literally went through 14 pages of trade history and uh, picked out my favorite little goodies uh, over the course of the last 25 years as to what shit trades or GMs have made, and uh, we're going to go over those tonight. But uh, go help us out on Patreon if you'd like. Uh, it would do us you know, a huge favor, and all the all the money goes back into the show um, it, there's a lot of perks on there. I don't want to go read through them all. You can go check them out there at uh, our on our Patreon page. It's easy to find. Go to any of our social media and we have it up. But uh, we appreciate everybody coming on the show. Eddie, thanks for toughing through this through your finals weeks that you're doing all your projects. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Oh, tomorrow night. Have a good one.
0: Thanks for ruining my show, by the way. That's it. I'm sorry you guys had to sit through that, but. This is an obligation, contract obligation, they told me, so um, my kneecaps are sweating and I really got to go to the bathroom, so um, I'm going to have to let you guys go. Thank you. Bye.